Hi everyone, this is Brendan, behind the scenes at Higher Ed Live. Just a quick technical note, we had a few glitches uh, recording this episode. Around 10 to 15 minutes in, you're going to hear some dropouts, and uh, unfortunately, a little bit of the conversation gets garbled. We do apologize for that, but uh, the rest of the conversation's clean, and we hope you enjoy the episode. It is Monday, April 1st, 2019 at 1 o'clock Eastern Time, and this is Admissions Live. I'm your host, Joe Salustio, and on today's live broadcast, we're talking about students and whether or not they should be considered consumers. The title of today's episode is The Student is a Consumer, True, False, or Something in Between. Admissions Live is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. All of our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's discussion by tweeting us using the hashtag HigherEdLive. Today's live broadcast is powered by Platform Q Education's Conduit online engagement platform. Learn how to integrate continuous online engagement into your marketing and enrollment plans using Conduit. Visit platformqedu.com. All of our episodes are recorded. They're free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com. Let's see. You can take the Higher Ed Live uh, broadcast with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. And Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. So I'd like to welcome everybody to Higher Ed Live today. And uh, we have two amazing guests with us. Um, and I'm very excited about the discussion we're going to have. Um, my first guest today is Dr. Robert McManus. Dr. McManus is the chair of the Masters of Organizational Leadership Ethics Concentration at Claremont Lincoln University. He uh, holds a joint appointment at the McDonough Center for Leadership in Business at Marietta College in Ohio, where he serves as the McCoy Professor of Leadership and Communication. His books include Understanding Leadership, an Arts and Humanities Perspective, and Ethical Leadership, a Primer. Welcome, Dr. McManus. My second guest is Dr. Gene Norris. Dr. Gene Norris is the leading advocate for the college admissions profession. By day, she serves as managing partner of Norton Norris, Inc., a Chicago-based consulting firm that works exclusively in higher education. Gene has spent over three decades working in marketing and admissions trenches at colleges and universities across the United States. She also serves as the chairperson of the board at the Association for the Advancement of the College Admissions Profession, as well as the Allied Chair for the Career Education Colleges and Universities. Dr. Norris believes in educational choice and ethical practices to help prospective students find the right fit. So, Dr. Norris, Dr. Manis, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited about this topic. I think there's a lot of opinion out there. And so I think our viewers would like to hear from you first on what your position is, a quick summary on student consumers, uh, whether we should consider students as consumers. And Dr. Norris, I'm going to lead with you. Thank you. And thanks for having us here. We really appreciate it. And this is a hot topic, obviously. And I'm of the mindset that the student is a consumer. And that is based on definitions that are used by various audiences that define them that way. It's also a function of their buying habits and how they're doing things related to consumerism. Um, I also believe that this increased competition that we're dealing with in the world of higher ed makes us view them that way. Uh, It's about survival, actually, when you look at a lot of the colleges. 
Uh, and ultimately, I think the importance of relationship building in the, the process of selecting a college also forces them to be to defined as a consumer. Okay, Dr. McManus, um, I think the crowd would like to hear from you on, on your position. Uh, well, I would start with saying that any way of seeing is a way of not seeing, uh, to quote Kenneth Burke, and that these ideas have consequences. So if we look at students as consumers, we fail to look at them as, as other things that they are. Education was never meant to be, I think, transactional, but more transformational, where both the professor and the student came to a better way of knowing the information and also uh, themselves. So it's, it's much more noble than merely a transaction, which I think comes from just simply looking at a student as a consumer. When you look at Jesus, Buddha, Confucius, others, these are very transformational relationships. I think by looking at students as consumers, we do what Marx said would be to remove the halo of the person of science and replace it with a mere means of production. So that's my concern with looking at a student exclusively through that lens. Very interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to today's discussion, and I have some questions I'd like to ask you guys. Um, for the audience, don't hesitate to ask questions using the hashtag uh, #HigherEdLive, and I'll do my best to ask your questions as they come in. Um, but first, I'll start uh, with just a few definitions and questions of my own. So, in my research on this topic, of course, my first um, uh, inkling was to define uh, what is a consumer and what is a student. And so, I want to read you the Merriam-Webster. Uh, a dictionary results when I did the search, uh, and a consumer is one that consumes, uh, if you can imagine that, and utilizes economic goods. And uh, when I looked up student, it was one who attends school or one who studies. And so there wasn't necessarily a connection uh, when you look at the definition, but that doesn't mean there isn't a connection. So I think my first question, and, and Dr. Noros, I'll go, I'll go to you with this first one. How are students today different than they were, say, 10, 20 years ago, um, and how they look at education in general? That's, that's a great question. And having a child who was going through the college process a few years back, um, I can speak to that as well. The, you know, this, this is an interesting question. We ask this every time that we do training with admissions professionals. It's, it's interesting and similar to what Dr. McManus just said, is they look through a certain lens and they, they tend to look at the negative when you start to talk about today's student. They're lazy. Um, you know, they, they are tech savvy, but they're, you know, this, this whole concept of, um, you know, being someone who wants it their, their way and they want it now. Now, on the positive side, they do say that students today are more informed, technology here shortly, I hope, but the, the idea of the traditional age student being that entitled person, when they talk about adult students coming back, coming back and back to college, time or returning as a transfer student, the, the words that pop out are, are that concept of being so busy that these students not only are trying to balance family, work, they're also trying to balance, in many cases, parents that they're taking care of. So their concept of today's student not being just that traditional definition, 
but again, also being these other attributes that define their lifestyles. Now, the one commonality between both that I will share is that idea of technology. Uh, the idea that they have such a reliance on that in terms of how they make decisions, how they get information. And it's, it's one of those things when you start to think about that device that all of us carry around, that all of us have with us 24 seven, and growth of the smartphone industry. I believe recent statistics show that the growth in smartphone users is forecast to move up to 2.9 billion. That's with the by 2020. World's population just generally being projected to use a smartphone is like 36% of the world's population. So, so when we talk about the difference with today's students from 10, 20 years ago, their reliance on technology to get information, to, to actually learn about what's going on in the world around them is a, is a key factor that, I, that we see very predominantly in terms of how they actually do things. Um, other attributes related, I think, to the technology concept is the idea of not trusting as much. And again, it's another big thing we see when we're talking to those who work in admissions is because they are exposed to things in their life, them not trust as much, such as, and unfortunately, there's enough headlines to go around. But, you know, think of the world that they, those, those students have grown up with or adults are seeing is, is political figures or sports icons or musicians falling race, you know, people that they've looked up to, how those students are, they don't trust as much, right? Technology, we know all of us buy things online, we talk about it all the time, but the idea of online reviews and looking at the sources online to help them in their decisions is something new to us when we talk to consumers. They trust online reviews. They trust strangers more than the professionals who are actually working at those institutions. Right. So these are just a couple of the factors that we've noticed when it comes to today's students and how they've changed over the, the past decade or two. And Jean, just so you know, you've got just a, a couple of uh, glitches in the technical part of this, You're cutting in and out just a tad, just so you know. Um, but we got the gist of it being, really, yeah. yeah, and the, techno the technology really creating access that didn't exist before and now a lack of trust. And Dr. McManus, how do you sort of respond to that, um, uh, you know, perspective that Gene presented and, you know, from a, a you know, a very experienced faculty perspective? Well, I think that Gene is right in that students have changed and students continue to change. So I was a first generation college student. And when I was looking at schools, uh, I had a very uh, limited way of, of, of getting my information. I would wait for people to send packages to the home and I would go through these paper brochures. And I was really concerned about paying for college at the time. Uh, and how I would do that. I remember going to the library and looking up uh, how I might find scholarships or grants. And 
uh, I do think that that is a different environment today. Uh, so I, I, I think that she's absolutely right that technology has changed the game. A lot of a lot more information is available to students, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that that can be a, a very good thing. I think that what I see the biggest change in though is why students are going to school. So I remember going to my freshman orientation. My parents uh, came to a session at the beginning of, of the school year, and a very esteemed professor got up in front of everyone and said, you are not here to learn how to get a job. You are here to investigate the human condition and to become a better person. Now, I went to a traditional liberal arts school. Uh, that was very hard for my parents to hear being a first-generation college student. And I do think that students are, and I, and I think that this goes back to any way of seeing is a way of not seeing, that quote by Kenneth Burke that I mentioned at the beginning, is I do think that students are now much more interested in what they can do to get a job. That's why they go to school. But I don't think that that's the only reason why students should go to school. And that's my concern about looking at them. We need to think of the student as a piece of the process. But if we were to extend that metaphor of a student as a consumer, I would suggest reframing it and su suggest that society is our consumer, that we are uh, presenting a, and I hate this terminology when we talk to people, when we talk about people, but as a product, where if we sell the uh, more than merely credential, that they should be able to help the organization and the people around them reach their goals. And my concern with looking at a student merely as a consumer is that we might be trying to meet them at what they want, but that may not So that's my concern about that student. Oh, Robert, if you could just uh, summarize that point maybe in a sentence or two, because we did see it cut out just a little bit uh, there at the end. I think that if we were to summarize it, we should look at students as consumers. We should look at society as consumers. What do these students need in order to be effective in their organization? And their dealings with uh, and really know their stuff. And that's that society as the consumer, as the product. Again, that's only one way of seeing, not the only right. way. Okay. So, Gene, how do you respond to that? I mean, that's a really interesting perspective that, that Robert offered that society is sort of driving the, the changes. And, and, you know, when you look at online education, uh, especially online education and the increase in um, competition. Right. There's when you look at statistics, there's less individuals graduating from college. There's less people going on to advanced degrees. So competition becomes heated. There's more traditional universities entering the online space rapidly. So how does that society student perspective uh, land uh, sort of in your in your eyes? Mm -hmm. it, it's a it's a great perspective and one that actually agree with in many, many ways. Unfortunately, we're not the ones who get to make that decision. There are other groups that are deciding for us 
as as consumers or as a society, what defines a quality education or, or how to define student outcomes? But I have a, a, at the idea of college, you're going to the university to, to learn to be, to find out new things, to learn new things, to expand our minds, to become a different person is, is amazing. And it is one of the fundamental aspects of higher education. If, if you go back to the original Jeffersonian principles of higher education from the late 1800s, it, it truly is about access for all. It truly is about that, that this should be something that is funded so that, that everyone can have an opportunity to do this. And it also originally stated limited government control. Well, here we sit, all this time later, you say, well, how's that working for us? <laughs> well, ability issue is a huge issue in the world of higher education. Uh, that's a whole other podcast uh, separately in terms of affordability. So that that isn't playing out. Um, one of the other Jeffersonian principles spoke about competition is good. The idea of it, it's not about labels of for-profit and non-profit. It's not about liberal education versus technical education. It's about competition is good and choice is good for Americans to be able to choose the path that works best for them. When we look at the aspect of government control, that is where things really fall apart because originally the idea was limited control. And here we sit with a government that has a lot to say about higher education, including the idea that student outcomes are measured primarily by ROI, by how much money does this student make in comparison to the program and what they spent. So given, given that, we do, have, we do have some things we have to deal with in terms of how we recruit, how we um, label that student a consumer or not, but also how, how we teach and what's going to happen to our, our colleges and universities. So that's an interesting point when you talk about investment and outcome. Um, do you think, Robert, that it depends on the type of university I mean, is a student a consumer for some universities, but maybe when you look at maybe one of today's elite institutions, uh, the consumer principles uh, don't apply as much? Well, let me go back to two things that Gene mentioned that I think uh, bear some, uh, just another opinion. One is this idea that uh, education should be open to all and that Jeffersonian principle I have a great affinity for that principle, and I and I believe in it as well. I do believe, though, that looking at students as consumers has driven the cost of education sky high. So when students come to visit a school, they are more interested in the uh, the facilities of the uh, recreational center, uh, how nice the dorms are. Do you have a water park? You know, that is, that's part of the problem of the price of education is that we're looking at students merely as consumers, not for what they need in order to be successful, but what they want in order to have good recreation. So I do think that that is, I agree with Gene. I do agree with that Jeffersonian principle about education being available to all at a reasonable cost. 
Um, but I think that looking at students as consumers has hurt that cost. The second thing is I, uh, not surprisingly, and probably a little bit more for regulation because I have seen with the advent of the online movement, and there are some outstanding online programs, even in traditional schools like the, the Ivies, right? So I'm not against online education at all. I am for government regulation in order to make sure that those programs are effective. The students are coming out of those programs knowing what they should know in order to be conversant in the field. And my fear with some of the uh, new, advan new advances in education is that without that type of regulation, students will not get what they need in order to tr truly be a benefit to society and themselves. Jean, how do you feel about that? Uh, it's it's an interesting concept, and the the idea of certain types of institutions should fall under uh, different kinds of rules is is one that is hotly debated. I'll tell you that the the idea of the lazy rivers and you know the rooms in the buildings is something that tradition. Uh, and again, my my son going to a state university. Uh, and now working on his graduate degree with an, with an online university, he, he sees the dichotomy himself. And, and yes, we, we are paying for that as consumers, as consumers ourselves, taxpayers, with state universities, community colleges. We, we also have to take a look at what is causing the rise in tuitions. And some of it for, for all of us that we have to, to take into consideration, and again, this is a whole other podcast, is, is healthcare expenses and the overhead that any institution has to pay to the people who work there. So you've got insurance, health costs are crazy. You've got things like, um, you know, people need cost of living raises every year. So these, these are the types of things that organizations, institutions have to absorb and pass on and get the money from somewhere. It has to happen somewhere. The, the idea that, that, we pay a certain amount of money and we should expect a certain amount of earnings at the end to make it worth it is, is not one that I personally agree with. I, I believe myself, you know, being someone who went to school originally to be a medical assistant, spent a heck of a lot of money to make you know, at time less money than, than, what I, than before going to college. But it put me on a path. And it put me on a path to learn and to grow and to keep advancing. And so I would have traded that experience in a million years. So I, I think it's short-sighted to view it from that perspective. Out of the gate, a student you know, pays this and, and must ha make this as soon as they get out. There, there are way too many variables at play there. And, and yeah, I would I agree that. with that. Go ahead, Robert. No, I, I would agree with that. I guess what I was getting more towards, and I understand your concern about the ROI on a degree. Uh, how can you put an R ROI? I majored in uh, theater and communication. Tell that to a first-generation parent, right, whose student has <laughs> never gone to school. Mom, I want to work major in theater. How are you going to make money with that, right? It put me on a path, though, and I, and I do agree with that. I think where I am more interested in, in the um, regulation is making sure Right? 
not, but about what students need. And that's why I think that accrediting agencies such as WASC or SACS or the nationwide accrediting agencies that we have are so very important. And that's regulation, right? To make sure that the students are walking out of there knowing a body of literature where they can go into the field, be conversing in that field, be successful, serve their organizations and society well. That's where I would uh, have more of an affinity for regulation. So what? Let's let's sort of shift the topic just a tad. Let's talk about the role of the institution. We do know that the student drives a lot of the decision making. Um, I mean, they can choose it, to some degree, right? We know a student can choose a university now whether. They get into that university, if they get through the admissions requirements, the testing, if that university has different hoops for them to sort of jump through is, is a bigger question. But the student has some choice in where they want to attend, right? And I don't think that's changed over time. You know, I remember back when I was looking at my undergraduate and there was a big book and it went through all the statistics on every university within a 50 mile radius. And I got to go down the list like the yellow pages and, and pick my university. Um, but how has the admissions process changed and has it changed because the student is driving the decision with more buying power Jean? yeah and when you speak about the admissions process i assume you're including the recruitment process yeah, as part yeah, of the marketing enrollment right. process right and I, and I think to answer your question joe it's it's helpful to look outside of higher education at times to see what other industries or sectors have, have dealt with in terms of consumer behavior. And it's no different when you look at the world of higher education, ultimately. So, so Harvard Business Review a few years ago brought together the top marketing professionals from places that you may have heard of, like Google, Intuit, Visa, just, just to name a few. And they asked them, is the sales funnel still relevant? Is the sales funnel still relevant? And it was a reason, no, it is no longer relevant. And a lot of that had to do with consumer behavior. Consumers, it was no longer this, this process of, you know, you go through these steps, lockstep anymore, right? It really turned into more of a, a, a cyclical type of process or, or a, a process where people could bounce in and bounce out. They could move through it quickly. I mean, think about this. If, if you're searching for an item and you know, you're doing your, your shopping and comparing prices and you are you know, reading the reviews, like we said, it's the kind of thing you could stop at that point and, and leave. And you might come back later. You might check out your shopping cart after they've sent you, you know, coupons and things. But it's, they realized this, that people were bouncing in and out. Some went through super quick especially if they saw some uh, post on Instagram or Facebook, they could just click on it, but others would leave, come back, perhaps weeks later, perhaps never. So what these marketers realized is the consumer has more control than ever, and they had a choice. We can either adapt to that reality or we can ignore it and go out of business. They chose to adapt, and what they realized what they realize is that because consumers have control to a certain extent, that it's more about relationships first. It's building trust and building relationships 
and transactions happen within that. So when you fast forward or take a look to the world of higher education, we often talk about the buying cycle. And we, we saw these shifts happening a dozen years ago, that students could make decisions without ever stepping on campus, right? They could actually become aware that a, a, a school or college or university existed. They could do all their research online. And again, remember, government has mandated that a lot of information is on those websites, right? They've got net price calculators. They've got all kinds of tools to check it out. They could read reviews, look on social media. They could move through the entire buying cycle without ever talking to a person at, at campus. And they, they could opt out if they existed. So that, that is problematic, that is troublesome, that is a reality, however, of what we're dealing with with today's student. Robert, what do you think about that? No, I think that, that that is true, is that students do have access to a lot more information. Uh, students at my very traditional uh, college, sometimes it always amazes me because that's just a completely different experience than I had. I visited colleges to meet the professors. Now our students may come from across the country and have a lot of information about the, the college when they get there, but have never stepped foot on the campus. And I do think that we need to think about that and how do we adjust the way we recruit students, the way that we uh, reach out to them and try to develop relationships. Um, I'm not saying that, that, I'm not saying that consumers, the viewing students as consumers is completely wrong. I just think that we have trouble when it's the only way we view them. Uh, I think that's where we run into trouble, where we start thinking, oh my goodness, if we don't have a lazy river, we're not going to get enough students. But is that really serving the student? If we make, you know, if we shorten classes, the so students will like it more. Or if we make the classes easier, students will like it more. And they're a consumer and they're going to go somewhere uh, else that's easier. I don't see how that serves society or the student as consumer well. So I'm not saying that we don't need to consider these things in the admissions process, how we reach out to students, how we bring them in, making sure that they're a right fit. I think that we have an ethical responsibility to make sure that the students coming in will be successful. Uh, I don't think that it's right to bring students in for 18 months, take as much money as we can, and then say, so long, you failed out. Uh, I think it's unethical, and yet I will tell you that a lot of schools are doing that. So, so I think that we have to convert the things that Jean has mentioned, but not only those things. Also seeing students as people who are in need of information in order to develop themselves as people and to be uh, quality in their organizations or in what they desire to do with their lives. So there is a, a sustainability piece involved here. Um, as you both know, it is, uh, unfortunately, it's common for institutions to close today. Um, 20 years ago, it wasn't so common. Today, it seems like we're reading about that in uh, a news publication every other month. Um, do you think that, and this is a question for both of you, um, 
do you think that so so let's let's go based on the principle in Dr. McManus I heard you agree and in Dr. Norris talk about you're not both of you sort of agree that at least there's some consumer tendencies uh, with students right may not be the only way to look at a student but certainly there's some some tendency there um, so when you talk about increased competition for students when you talk about um, school closures, the need for sustainability, regu the regulatory environment, which I I'm sure you both are familiar with, is that putting tremendous pressure on institutions to the point where ethics is taking a back seat to um, other either business, uh, you know, uh, uh, concepts like sustainability or financial gain? I mean, is ethics, has it been taking a back seat because of the student because of uh, consumerism, because of increased competition? Dr. Norris? That's a great insights though, Joe. It, it's one of those things, and again, I, I work, and I've been blessed enough to work with admissions professionals throughout the country um, for decades. And it, it is that they're in such a tough place. They, they are professionals who are there to help that student and their family. And yet, there is this institution that they work for that has expectations. And those expectations may be related to volume you know, uh, or quality or shaping a class in a certain way. So it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, unfortunately, for, for someone to, um, to do something intentional or not that may be you know, below the line. Um, I will tell you that my own dissertation work really focused on the moral judgment of admissions professionals at for-profit and non-profit colleges and universities. And I, I went into it because I've worked at, I've worked at both. And I, was, I, I had an idea in my mind as to how this would come out. And what I found is that there was no difference, no statistical difference in moral judgment between those working in for-profit versus nonprofit. They also scored higher than the average adult population. So I'm, I'm a huge advocate for people in that profession. However, there are other factors at play beyond someone's individual moral judgment that would cause somebody to cross that line. And unfortunately, that, that has happened. Dr. McManus. Well, I I think I understand you know, admissions people uh, are professionals that there are sometimes some competing right. I completely understand. I do think that an organization needs to think about how they reinvent themselves, how they uh, um, position themselves so they will be able to suit the students that are going to them well their needs. And I do understand sometimes that there are some unethical that are done, maybe suggesting that a program is part of the school that's really not a part of the school or what have you. Uh, so I, I, I understand that. I do think that organizations at large, whether it be profit or nonprofit schools, need to think about the long-term effects of their decisions and how they indeed may sh be shooting themselves in the foot by not being ethical in some of the things that they um, 
that they do or that they say that they will do. So for example, if you bring in a student uh, to a very academically rigorous institution and you know they're not going to be successful and you're only bringing them in there because you need to make your quota, I think that that is unethical. And I also think that you are hurting the institution because those students are not going to graduate from that institution. And you're hurting the students because you are taking their money for 18 months and with, with no hope of them being able to be successful. And they're going to leave that institution with a lot of debt. So I think that, that sometimes we worry about the short-term gain and forget about the long-term uh, game. <laughs> and I think that that's what institutions need to constantly come back to. And I do think that in this environment, far too short-sighted in our thinking because we are worried about closing, we are worried about the increase in competition. So I do understand those competing polls, but we cannot uh, lack our academic quality. If we give up on that, then we're really not serving anyone well. Yeah, I think we all agree on that. Jean, you want to add anything else? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. It, the the short term thinking will have major implications because you know again going back to social networks and and today's consumers, students will will buy from from what they see out there on that. And the the last thing you want to hear is that I couldn't get a job. Um, or that this professor did that, you know, whatever it might be. So, so it'll have long-lasting ramifications if we don't have the right fit. What I'll add is this is one of the things that we're very, very focused on is those admissions professionals in, in, that, in that critical position of helping those students who are more, most likely to succeed in that program institution need upskilling. And what I mean by that is many people in that profession got there because they're a graduate of that school or they, um, you know, they, they worked in customer service or whatever. There's, there's no actual formal education and training to the degree that we need in those positions to help those people help the students they're bringing in. Okay, good. I want to sh uh, shift. Um, we've got time probably for one more topic as we uh, sort of wind down. We, I know I can talk about this all day long. Uh, I'm sure uh, the same for you guys. And one of the things I always ask myself, and I'm not going to um, throw this on the table to discuss, but um, I always wonder if the narrative around how students perceive, perceive themselves and um, their role in choosing an institution and how they choose. You know, there's, uh, Jean, you brought it up earlier investment and output has to do with the age of students, uh, the adult learner, the emergence of the adult learner versus the traditional student. You're in a job, you're working, you have financial burden, you have bills to pay, and all of a sudden you start looking at everything in that context. And that sort of has evolved um, along with online education as, as things have progressed. But that's not my question, that's just a thought from me. The one thing, uh, and sort of stakeholder group we haven't discussed, is uh, online adjunct faculty or faculty in general, because they play an important role, obviously, in educating students um, and involve, obviously shepherding a student through the educational process. So have either of you talked to faculty 
uh, about this issue of students, their expectations, faculty and their expectations, and is there a dissonance in the way students perceive themselves and the way faculty perceive a student today? And uh, Dr. McManus, I'll start with you. Oh, well, uh, to briefly answer your question, yes, I think that there is a difference. Uh, so again, I'll go back to my own experience. Um, I missed graduating with honors from my undergraduate uh, program by, I think it was like one-tenth of a point. They had my diploma printed up with honors, and I got a C in this one class because I had a bad case of senioritis, and they said, <laughs> okay, nope. We're, you're going to get your diploma in the mail, and it won't say honors. My father, I have a PhD now, and my father still reminds me of that, <laughs> right? Well, okay, so that was back, you know, uh, 80s, 90s. I would have never dreamed to go, dreamt of going to my professor and saying, could you give me extra credit, or could you review this assignment in order to, you know, maybe, maybe I could just get a C-plus in this class or something of like that. Okay, I can tell you, uh, from my perspective now, students are very inclined to do that. I remember when I was in graduate school, I was teaching as an adjunct in an institution, and uh, one of the students didn't like the grade. It was the grade. I talked to the dean about it, and he said, well, our students are used to negotiating for our grades. And <laughs> I said, well, that's fine, but uh, I... I can't do that fairly if I let one person negotiate, how I would have to let everyone negotiate, right? But I do think that that is a trend where students feel much more empowered, right, to go to their professors to negotiate for those types of things. And again, I think that that is something, again, when we think about students as consumers, that we have to be very careful about because we have to be fair and we have to make sure that the students we're sending into their world are accurate reflections of that piece of paper on their wall. Do they know what they know, right? So I certainly have seen this consumer uh, mindset among students, right? I, I get that. I've also seen a consumer mindset amongst faculty institutions going from tenured professors to um, contract professors, adjuncts, I do worry about that in the field of, of edu higher education in general. Uh, I, I, you do not have the academic freedom to say, no, Rob, you got a C in the course. Uh, you're going to stay with that C, even if, it met, if, if you do that to too many students, maybe you won't get your contract renewed. Um, I think that's very dangerous. I realize that there has been some abuses in tenure, but I think that the benefit of tenure for the years and years we've had it has far outweighed the abuses. So I do really worry about the trends that I see about the adjunctification of people in the academy. It may be good for business, but it may not be good for the academy. Very good. And Jean, the last couple minutes to you. Um, I'll just add, I, I very much agree with Dr. McVenice on this. It's Yes, the student is a consumer. However, <laughs> once they are accepted into that institution, it's their job to earn their degree. 
And I believe that's that changes the relationship. It, it has to change at that point. If it doesn't, the, the idea that you were, you were stating, Dr. McManus, in terms of negotiating for degrees is, in my opinion, an extreme disservice to the student because now we are lowering the bar, which then, in fact, lowers the value of what they just purchased uh, in terms of the value. So for me, um, it, it ends at the, the classroom door that now it's about them doing the work, them earning the degree. And if any changes to that, anything that we do to lower the quality is, is a disservice for them. Great. Well, I want to thank you both uh, for discussing this. And, you know, I guess the question to the audience really comes down to, is the student a consumer? And uh, the answer is that it's up to your interpretation. Where you work, who you work with, uh, the administration at your university, the type of school you work for, um, there's a lot of individuals that will have uh, or want to have an influence on how you look at this topic. So um, I just want to talk to the audience very quickly about where you can find the work of these two amazing people. Uh, Dr. McManus, you can find his latest work on Amazon. Um, you can pick up Understanding Leadership and Arts and Humanities Perspective by Rutledge and Ethical Leadership, a Primer by Edward Elger. And you'll find Dr. Jean Norris and the Association for the Advancement of the College Admissions Profession on June 2nd in New Orleans as admissions professionals join to develop and prepare for the first ever admissions certification exam. Dr. Norris is seeking top admissions professionals from across the country to shape the future of the profession. Visit advancingadmissions.org for more information. Thank you, uh, as always, to our amazing program sponsor, M. Stoner. And I want to thank you again, uh, Dr. Norris and Dr. McManus, for uh, opining on this amazing topic. And I hope you both have a great day. Excellent. Thank you, thank Joe. You.